And now for our fun reading from the scriptures. <laughs> At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then he called a little child over to sit among the disciples and said, I assure you that if you don't turn your lives around and become like this little child, you will definitely not enter the kingdom of heaven. Those who humble themselves like this little child will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. People were bringing children to Jesus so that he would bless them, but the disciples scolded them. When Jesus saw this, he grew angry and said to them, allow the children to come to me. Don't forbid them because God's kingdom belongs to people like these children. I assure you that whoever doesn't welcome God's kingdom like a child will never enter it. Then he hugged the children and blessed them. Amen. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and it is a joy to be with you today. We are um, in a brief little pre-Lent ser series about play and the importance of play. We've got uh, such a serious world we live in and we do such serious work in it that it can be really difficult to understand what Jesus is talking about here. Those who do not welcome the kingdom like a little child will not enter it. Now this isn't, um, you know, a, a prerequisite that Jesus is putting on it saying you are not worthy. But Jesus is telling us that the way to enter, the way to understand, the way to embrace the kingdom is by having the playful, open, fearless, awe-filled understanding of a child. Now today, halfway through our little three-part series, we're actually talking about the discipline of play, the spiritual discipline of play. Now you might be thinking, great, Jonah found a way to make play not fun. <laughs> discipline, spiritual practices, serving the Lord. Honestly, when I think of spiritual disciplines, I can get overly serious too. Um, my, one of the kind of famous writers, thinkers about spiritual disciplines is a guy named Richard Foster. And he wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline, right? It's got even kind of this heaviness to the title. And he, he names the, the three different categories of disciplines, inward disciplines, meditation, prayer, fasting, study, outward disciplines, simplicity, solitude, submission, service, a lot of alliteration in that category, corporate disciplines, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. Now, by the time we get to the end of that list, we have to assume that celebration is like a somewhat subdued, somber adult affair, right? Like, we're not going to get to the end of like simplicity, solitude, submission, and then like throw a banger. And I have always had or like grew up with this sort of reverence towards the disciplines, um, that they were like these very serious, profound things, these ways of living, this kind of monastic, you know, minimalist way to approach life that would make you very like holy and good. But even Richard Foster, who wrote this book, is like, no, Jonah. <laughs> he says, rigidity which is, is that kind of categorization in my head, this, this specificity of like, this is a serious practice. Rigidity is the most certain sign that the disciplines have spoiled. 
We need to find ways to be flexible in our spiritual disciplines. He writes, often my students who are working on the spiritual disciplines will keep a journal. When I read these journals, I frequently must counsel the students to quit trying so hard to be religious. Let it go. (laughs) And so here we have this like profound, serious teacher of the spiritual disciplines being like, loosen up, bro. Don't take it so seriously. He reminds us that there is no exhaustive list of the disciplines. And so the ones that he's identified are the ones that work well for him. But he says, God will teach you. God will introduce you to spiritual practice no one has written about anywhere. So what is a spiritual discipline? Those words, those frameworks, they seem so like, they seem like they're from school, right? Disciplines, practices, exercise. Disciplines simply are patterns of choices that we make to grow in our relationship with God. But more than that, it is the cumulative habits, the practices, the routines, the orientation we have towards our life that allows us or does not allow us to fall in love and stay in love with God, with our neighbor, and with ourself. So I want you to think about yourself and how it is exactly that you fall in love. What are the conditions for you falling in love? We talk so much about the work of love, the labor of love, the effort of loving the world. But there is supposed to be joy and ease in it too. The fun part is falling in love. The fun part is being in love. So how do we fall in love? Now, for some folks, there may be a very deep seriousness to falling in love. But I know that for me, one of the most crucial ways that I fall in love and that I stay in love is play. Dr. Stuart Brown, who founded the National Institute for for Play, defines play as something done for its own sake. Play as a state of mind that you have when you're absorbed in an activity that provides enjoyment and suspends time. Play is something that you get lost in. Play is something you want to do again and again. It's not about outcomes, but the experience itself. In all of the blogs and opinion posts I read about play, one of the main themes is purposelessness. Simply being being alive, being engaged, being present, being connected. Play isn't about trying to accomplish anything. And when we let go of our hopes for accomplishment, we can just be. What better way to fall in love than to show up just being, just being with God, being with creation, being with ourselves and with each other? When I fell in love with my partner, Cameron, we would go to the gym a lot. (laughs) We liked to be in our bodies, and so we would lift heavy things. We would listen to music for hours. We would send each other songs. We would make each other laugh. We would make out. We played. It was so fun, and it was so purposeless. 
We look back at that time and we accomplished very little else but falling in love. I remember falling in love with my kitten, my cat of many, many years. I, she came into my life when I was writing my senior thesis in college and that felt very serious. I was writing a sociology paper and I was consulting all sorts of journals and my apartment was covered in just like papers and books. And my kitten's favorite thing to do during that time was to go all the way to the other end of the apartment, run full speed into the room I was studying in and leap into my pile of papers so that it would go everywhere. <laughs> it was the best. It was the best. It totally took me out of the seriousness of my moment and all I could do was adore her and then clean up my papers. <laughs> I think about when I fell in love with my child, Micah. She was born and she could do so little, but she would just stare. She would just stare wide-eyed and take everything in. She wanted to look at me with continuous unceasing eye contact for hours at a time. <laughs> She would make noises and babble and it became a game to see if we could make new noises or what would make the best noises. And over the course of her two and a half years, I fall in love with her over and over again as we play, as she teaches me how to play and experiment and be alive. The scripture tells us that there is a key in understanding, in entering and experiencing the kingdom that we unlock by learning from children. That children are not just the greatest here on earth because kids are the best, but the greatest also in heaven. That there is something that kids understand about eternity that we lose as we age. There is something you understood about eternity that becomes harder to access in adulthood. What is it that we learned, that we knew, that we embodied in childhood about falling in love, that we forgot and forget as we grow up. Researcher Alison Gopnik says, we always talk about how babies are bad at paying attention, when what we really mean is that babies are bad at not paying attention to everything. <laughs> to the little piece of fluff that's on the ground, to the sound of the airplane in the sky. Babies, children, toddlers have an open attention. She calls this the lantern attention, where the light shines on everything. It is a kind of continuous state of awe, taking it all in, finding it all worthy of interest and adoration. She says, if I tell an adult to walk four blocks to 7-Eleven to get a gallon of milk, that will be a pretty uneventful direct trip. But if I ask a four-year-old to go with, try doing that in a quick trip. Those four blocks are filled with incredible things. There are dogs, there are people, there are flyers for pizza on the ground. There's a stick and a hole that you can wiggle back and forth. You could spend days on those four blocks with a child. It takes so much longer, but you realize how rich the environment is, 
how much joy and beauty there is. There are so many endless opportunities for play, for falling in love. She says, Gopnik, every time my two-year-old goes into a new room, it's like he's taking a trip to Paris. It's amazing. It's interesting. Look, there's a door. There's a window. There's a light switch. Let's turn it on. Let's turn it off. Let's turn it on again. <laughs> there is something that that child knows and can appreciate about the kingdom of heaven that we have tuned ourselves out to. We shift our attention, our play, from this open purposelessness, this adoration and awe and love to accomplishing tasks. And you know what? We need to do that. Somebody's got to get the milk. We're going to get hungry and thirsty at some point and then it won't be so fun on those blocks, huh? But what if we could slip in and out? What if we could choose to play to open our attention, to be like a little child, to see the kingdom of heaven here and around us. There is an attentiveness in childhood. This same researcher, Alison Gopnik, she said she received a letter when she started putting her research out there from uh, somebody who worked in security at a department store. And his job, he stayed up on a balcony um, overlooking the store and he said that no adult ever noticed him. Adults were always going about their business, doing their checklists, having their tasks. He said the only people who ever noticed him were the children who were always looking up and around and wondering and waving and spotting him and laughing. What could we do what could we do to develop a capacity to come in and out of our routinized mindset? To get the groceries, but also to wonder at awe in the way the light falls on that texture of that wall in the corner, just because. How could we fall in love with everything around us over and over again as a matter of discipline? How can we embody the little child? This call to childlike faith is a call to putting ourselves in a position of awe, of wonderment, of engaging with the world through play and finding the opportunities to do nothing, to do everything, to have a sense of purposelessness that allows us to fall in love again and again. This is deeply countercultural. This is deeply anti-capitalist. When are you given permission to accomplish nothing? Perhaps this is one of the reasons we idolize romantic love. It is the only place left in our culture where we are allowed to simply be and adore and enjoy. And yet, in childhood, that is our primary orientation. The call from God is to find ways to tap into that throughout our lives to fall in love on a Tuesday, to fall in love with that bird you saw in the tree, to fall in love with the way your body moves, to fall in love with that color that keeps showing up again and again. Look, it matches. When we engage in play in this way, we are engaging in a kind of prefigurative politics. 
We talk about living in the world as it is and the world as it will be, understanding the need, the loss, the suffering of this life and being alive to the kingdom of God, not yet here and already alive within us, opening ourselves to play and awe and wonder and love is coming alive to the kingdom that is already here. Doing those things also brings the kingdom into being. It's invitational. It's infectious. It's wonderful to be around someone or something in a state of play. There are creative people who are trying to find ways to invite adults into play. As some of you know, my folks who are uh, integral to the community here are gone for a few weeks. That's why we're, we're uh, covering cameras and um, all kinds of things. So we've got, uh, my folks are gone in, in San Antonio, Texas for a few weeks. And uh, they were fine leaving um, their, you know, me and Cameron uh, for, for a month. But it, they said, it's gonna be too hard to stay away from Micah, our toddler. <laughs> So they invited us to come out for just a few days. And we did, and we spent a few days playing in San Antonio. And there are many ways that we played. But the most unusual for me was this um, art installation called Hopscotch. And it was an art installation made by adult artists for adults, but it looked like a big, wild, loud version of some of the, uh, you know, children's museum exhibits and, uh, you know, play spaces that I'm used to simply supervising my toddler at. Now, Micah came too, and she taught us how to play. She ran wild through that place, but there was an enormous ball pit now, normally when I think of ball pits, I think of uh, uh, contagious infections. That's all I can do. I think of bodily fluids and terror. <laughs> but Micah wanted to go in, and there were adults in there, and that was what we were there for. And so we went into a giant ball pit in the dark with glowing, weird lights. And this was the entry into this experience, and I took, I took a selfie to prove it. <laughs> that was after deliberately falling back into the balls that would catch my fall. I felt like such a little kid. As we moved on, there was an exhibit with all kinds of um, lights hanging from strings in the ceiling and weird, like, wow, 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 music going on. <laughs> and... Eventually, Micah was the one running through with her arms outstretched like a bird, but be only because Nana went first. Can we get that picture? There's Nana leading the way, running, arms outstretched, feeling the twinkle lights and hearing the music. But my favorite was this final exhibit where you went into a kind of cage, really, and there was, the floor was a squishy, slightly trampoline-y kind of texture. And everything was covered in lights that were motion sensitive. And so you could go and run across, jump across, and the lights would follow you. And you could move your arms, and lights would follow you. 
And so I was playing, and Nana was playing, and Papa was playing, and Micah was playing, and I looked back, and I saw Cameron at the wall doing this. Conjuring. Let's see the next one. Let's go for the next. Do we have it? Oh, the next one didn't make it. I looked back, and his arms went straight up. He, like, face out, straight up. He was like, ah! And he commanded the lights to come. <laughs> like some sort of superhero. It was amazing, and we were all completely lost in play. That is not an experience I have often. Do you? I am so grateful for the choice of these artists to spend their creative energy playing and inviting not just children but adults into that kind of wonder. We were actually talking about this sermon series and my mom said, you know, it's a shame that we can't just bring all of Zhao here. We wouldn't need a sermon. (laughs) We would just play. So how exactly do we practice this? I was grateful to be invited out of town on this special trip, looking for something fun to do. But how can we practice in our day-in, day-out lives when we still do have to get through our grocery list, get through our workday, put everything in order? How do we practice, become a disciple of play without taking out all the fun? Well, Dr. Brown describes there are four types of play. There are many more, but there are four that he identifies. There is body or movement play. There is object play, imaginative play, and social play. He encourages us to take stock of things that we loved in childhood. Did you love to play sports? or to climb trees? Did you love to color or make things? Did you love to take things apart and put them back together? Were you just happier when you were outside? Did you make music? Did you play pretend for hours? We need to remember what it is like to have our days oriented around play, around purposelessness instead of purpose. And find ways to pluck from that memory inspiration for play in our day-to-day lives. I want to invite you to try four things this week. One, pick something from your childhood and level it up to meet you in your life now. Maybe climbing trees is not practical for you. But taking a hike might be. Maybe there is something that you would love to take apart just to learn how it works and put it back together. Maybe you want to find a way to play pretend. I cannot tell you how much joy and delight I see on people's faces when I tell them that Zhao has a D&D group. And what is Dungeons and Dragons but structured play pretend? Imaginative play is so lovely. And so we can, we can find ways to play pretend in our adulthood. We can find ways to be in our bodies in adulthood. We can create and make and explore. Find something, pick something that you loved and level it up to your life now. 
The second thing that I want you to do is consider rest. Now, when I think about the ways that I don't play, I think about being too tired, mentally, emotionally, and physically, too tired to play. This is a rut that Cameron and I get into from time to time. Remember, play is essential to falling in love. We say, we don't play together anymore. And we immediately say, oh, I'm just so tired. We don't have the energy to play a game after we've gone through our entire day, even though we used to love playing games together. We don't have time or space or energy to go paddle boarding. I mean, it's February, but that's my favorite thing to do. We don't have the time and space. How do we do that? Unfortunately, we need to prioritize rest first. Consider resting as a way to give yourself the space and the energy to play. And then think about ways that you could play when you are feeling checked out. What I do really often when I'm too tired to play is I sort of check out and dissociate. And there is a kind of joy in scrolling TikTok, but too often I'm not there in a spirit of play. I'm there partially numb. And if I would prioritize rest during that time, perhaps I could sneak a little play in before bed. Third, I want you to think about how you might integrate play into your life. Is this something that you can schedule? Some people schedule adventure dates for themselves. Some people have a practice or a habit that they like to do every day that helps them come alive. People who talk about building habits love cues. What is the cue to remind you that this is something you wanna do? Perhaps hearing someone laugh is your cue to remember to play. Perhaps seeing uh, your pet or a child engage in play is your cue to play with them. Or perhaps just seeing a playground out in the world is your cue to remember that all of creation was made by God as a playground for you and your friends. And finally, just notice. Turn on that lantern attention and be in awe. Open yourself to wonder, even for a moment. Find that person smiling down at you from the balcony or the rustling of the trees that you are so used to ignoring, but you had forgotten how much you love the sound of. Notice and come alive. So to review, Pick a practice from your childhood. Pick a joy from your childhood and level it up. Prioritize rest so that you might have the energy, space, spirit to play. Prioritize it in your life through scheduling or picking a cue. And then make moments available for just noticing and being in awe. Any one of these would help integrate the practice of play into your spiritual life and elsewhere as a kind of holy discipline. 
The church fathers used to call it holy leisure time. And it is fundamental to human being and life. God wants you to have good things. So fall in love with those good things. Fall in love with God, with self, with neighbor, with all creation. And know that that is an act of faithfulness. And it is blessed. Will you pray with me? God of all joyous creation, in our busy and serious lives, in the seriousness and gravity of the justice work, the liberation work, the transformation work to which you have called us, we sometimes lose ourselves in the focus of our tasks. God, invite us, alight us to the play around us. Help us remember what it means, what it feels like to come alive through play. And God, may we ever and ever fall and be in love, in love with you, in love with ourselves, in love with each other, and all of this good creation. Amen.